And I trust you experience the goodness of God. I had a good day. I, in fact, it seemed like I kind of got wrapped up in fellowship at supper and all at once. I discovered it wasn't 20 till 7, it was 10 till 7. And I got into high gear, and I hope it doesn't happen again this week, but I do have a tendency to lose track of time. So I would uh, ask that you keep praying for me this week. Pray that God would have his way. I shared a little last night about our daughter. Thank you for your prayers. She is doing better. She seems to be going the right direction, and we rejoice in that. And I believe in the power of prayer, and I trust you do too. Lord willing, probably tomorrow evening, we'll talk more about prayer. Tonight I'd like to think a little bit more about our theme, again, from Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, where Jesus was telling Peter something there, and he told him that he gives him the keys of the kingdom. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And again, we don't, we're not going to get into what all that is saying there, except for, I believe, this fascinating fact that there are keys. And Tonight, I'd like to think a little bit about what keys denote or keys remind us of. And keys are given to people who have right motives to want entrance. Keys are given to people who have right motives who want entrance. Now, I have, over the years, I'm not sure how many keys I've had made for the shop, but I have not made a habit of going around and handing them out to people especially people with, with dark glasses and, and looking like robbers, I, I wouldn't really think about giving them a key to the shop for obvious reasons. So keys are given to people who have right motives, who want entrance, and, and God will still give those keys to people. God will give, you know, that's one of the most exciting things about the Christian life is that as long as we don't stop, God doesn't stop. That, that growing and, and what he wants to do in our life doesn't stop. But tonight I'd like to think about a message of motives. And I'd like to just get a little input from you. What verse comes to your mind when you think about motives? When Jesus, and I'll give you a little clue. I'm thinking about a verse from the Gospels. When Jesus said something to his followers, what verse would come to your mind when you think about motives? Not a trick question. Anybody? Yeah. That's that's a good that's not the one I have. That's a good one. Not all that say unto me, Lord, Lord, will make it to the kingdom, but those who do the will of my Father which is in heaven. Well, the verse I had in mind is Jesus said unto him. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And that's in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. You go to the book of Mark, and it adds the word strength. And friends, tonight, you know what? There's something that's very, very important about me, and I know we can't see each other's motives. We can guess at it, and there's times we assign wrong motives, and probably all of you here tonight, you adults or that have been through some of life, 
You've had people assign wrong motives to things you've done. I've had it happen too, and it doesn't feel good. But there's something about the There's a truth there in what Jesus had to say when he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That needs to be what drives us. If we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then we are responsible to heed to those words. It doesn't matter where we come from. That's not... You know, last night I I met people and there was people that said, yeah, I know that's not a Mennonite name. You know what? That doesn't matter one little bit. It doesn't matter for a Yoder or for a Campbell like my wife grew up or, or whatever name you want to put in there. It doesn't matter any little bit. But if we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. And I know tonight there's people here at various different places in the Christian life. That's not so important to God. What, what is important to him is that you and I have a desire within our hearts to serve him with everything we have. And you know, when you think about all heart, all the heart, all the mind, all the soul, all the strength, it doesn't leave much room for selfishness. God requires that our motives are right. And have mine always been right? No. There's times God has had to put his finger on something and say, look, this attitude is not pleasing. That They may not have been what they should have been. They may, not have, they may have said some things or done some things they shouldn't have said, but that doesn't excuse your attitudes. That doesn't excuse the things that you're harboring within your heart. God requires that our motives are right. And I'd like to think just a little bit about revival before we get to the text passage tonight, which again is in the Old Testament. I'd like to think about revival a little bit. And last night we referred to the verse in Matthew chapter 3 where John the Baptist came preaching. He came preaching, repent ye or think differently for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if I can just remind us a little bit about what repentance means, it means to think differently about sin in a way that will affect how we live. And that's exactly what John the Baptist came preaching. In fact, later people came to him and he said, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Show forth therefore fruits that are meat for repentance. John the Baptist came preaching a message that said, There's a kingdom of heaven at hand, and if you want to enter there, you're going to have to show it. You need to show it by your life. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And think about it a little tonight about revival. How, how many of us have any kind of burden left for revival? Not only in our own lives, but, but that it would spread. You know, there's been so much fighting and bickering and splitting and all kinds of things that have happened. And I wonder how many of us have much of a passion left for revival, for God's people to again get back in this book and realize what it's saying and saying, you know what, we need to apply that to our life. This is meant to be something personal for me. What is a motive? A motive is a reason for doing something, especially one that is hidden or not obvious. We have motives all the time. There's things that we want to see happen, so we do things in a certain way, and others can't tell exactly why we're doing it that way, but we have a motive. We want a certain kind of outcome. 
And God calls us to let his presence affect our motives. Let his presence, the fact that Jesus Christ dwells in our heart, let that affect our motives. You've probably heard the saying, and I think it's so true, I can't hear what you're saying, your actions speak too loudly. I can't hear what you're saying, your actions speak too loudly. And God is not pleased with actions that appear good and right if they come from wrong motives. When Jesus Christ came to earth, you know what? He had a lot of patience with sinners. He had a lot of patience with people that had a long way to go. But you know where he, he, he came out with some of the strongest rebukes was people that wanted to look good on the outside, but he said, inside you're ravening wolves. You're just like whitewashed sepulchers. And I wonder how it is in my heart and your heart tonight. Are we true from the inside out? So, so important. I remember years ago, and this is many years ago now, I remember seeing an offering plate being passed. And I don't know, I don't make it a habit of watching people as, they, as the offering plate is passed to them. But I remember this so clearly. The offering plate came, and I saw this man kind of open his hand as though he was dropping something in. But there was nothing in his hand. And then he passed it on. Why? You know why? Because we'd like to be known for things without paying the cost. We'd like to be known to, to do something without actually doing it. Why is that the nature of man? You know what David wrote in Psalm 51? And again, you know, David... He, he was called a man after God's own heart. And we'll probably look at something he wrote at the end of the message tonight. But he was called a man after God's own heart. And he had fallen into that awful sin with Bathsheba. And then in Psalm 51, which is still a picture of repentance. We should have probably brought that in last night. It's still such a wonderful picture of repentance. But he said, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. God wants truth right here, settled deep within us, within our heart, and it affects why we do things. When there's revival, it will always have an outworking. During the great Welsh revivals of the early 1900s, it's reported that pubs closed because there were not enough patrons. Now, probably if you and I see revival, more of a widespread revival in our day, it probably will not involve pubs. But what will it involve? Revival always has an outworking. And I think when I stand before God one day, which is why the, the passion, the fervor, the desire to see revival ought to be ingrained in our hearts, because one day everyone here tonight is going to stand before a holy God, and I understand children are perfectly safe. But those of us that have come to the age of accountability, that, that have, you know, there's something going on in our hearts where we have to make choices and decisions. One day we're going to stand before a holy God, and I think he's going to be interested not only in what we did, but in why we did it. Turn with your Bibles tonight to Numbers chapter 22. And I'd like to entitle the message tonight, The Thoughts of the heart the thoughts of the heart and there's that verse in Hebrews it's one of the one of the powerful verses when you talk about the word of God it says for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing even to the piercing 
thought I had it. Any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Friend, tonight, if we, if we want to really know what our motives are, this is where we go. And as we read God's word, and, and James talks about the fact that there's people that look in the mirror and, and they see what they're really like, and then they go their way and they forget all about what they're like. But it says, whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed. And I may not have gotten that exactly right. But friends, the thought is, we need to look in that mirror, we need to look in the mirror of God's word, and as God points things out to us, Yes, you know what? I haven't had right motives. There's a reason I faced all these relationship struggles. There's a reason I faced this and that, because I haven't had right motives. And God calls us to right motives, a desire to do things rightly. Tonight we're going to look at a man again from the Old Testament that I believe is such a tragic, tragic story. Numbers chapter 22, and we're going to read the verse, first 22 verses and the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side, Jordan, by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam the son of Beor to Pathor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there's a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there's a people come out of Egypt which covereth the face of the earth, Come now, curse me them, peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. Friends, think about what's happening here. We want to get back to this in a little, but think about what's happening. There's force. That there's, and and when, I, when we think about motives tonight, and I'm sure you saw it in 2020, like, and we'll probably refer to this a little, little bit later too, but there was so much force. There was so much, we're going to have to make sure things go our way. And if I can just put it in plain language here, they're coming back to Balaam and they're saying, let nothing, whatever we need to do to make this happen, let nothing stand in the way of you coming back with us. 
Verse 17, for I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now therefore I pray you, and there's times I've wished the story would end in verse 18, but it's far, far from over. Verse 19, now therefore I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. We're going to cease reading there, and we'll probably come back and visit more of the story a little bit later. But friends, tonight it's the sad story of a man who wanted the rewards of serving the Lord, while at the same time desiring earthly wealth and fame. And I'm afraid it's a story of too many people professing Christianity. But it's a story that comes down much, much more, much closer to home than that. Is it ever our story? Do we want the rewards of Christianity? But we also want our own way. And let's think about, let's just think of a little bit tonight about how this story starts. There are times, the first point I'd like to think about is there are times the pressures of the world come to bear on God's people. Let's, let's go back just a little bit to the chapter previous to this. Chapter 21, verse 21, And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through thy land. We will not turn into the fields or into the vineyards. We will not drink of the waters of the well, but we will go along by the king's highway until we be past thy borders. And Sihon would not suffer Israel to pass through his border, but Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel into the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel, and Israel smote him with the edge of the sword and possessed his land from Arnon unto Jabbok, even unto the children of Ammon, for the border of the children of Ammon was strong. Verse 25, and Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon, and all the villages thereof. And you go on a little further to verse 33, and they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people to the battle at Edrai. And the Lord said unto Moses, Fear him not, for I have delivered him into thy hand, and all this people in his land, and thou shalt do to him as thou, doest, thou didst unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. So they smote him and his sons and all his people until there was none left him alive and they possessed his land. And here we have an enemy king. We have Balak and he's, he's getting concerned. He, he, he observes all that's going on, all the success that Israel is having and he's struck with fear. And you know what his conclusion was? His conclusion was we need help from someone who professes to know this God. And I wonder tonight, how did Balak know to go to Balaam? You ever noticed how people find each other? Maybe that's unique to Ohio, I don't know. But I have watched with amazement. It seems like you can take people from a thousand miles apart and bring them to the same community, and they have the same gripes against this or against that, 
and they find each other. How does it work? I hope it works in the positive too, and I think it does. But this story has so much negative in it, and, and Balak comes to Balaam. And I don't know, I don't know exactly what all went on in Balaam's heart. We do have some verses that tell us. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 tells us that Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. Jude 11 says they ran greedily after the error of Balaam. And I'm sure, I don't know how well Balak knew the group. I don't know how this all was. I don't know how well he knew the group. But I figure if he knew them, he knew there was people that he might as well steer clear of because there's no chance they're going to help me. But he goes to Balaam and he says, you know what? If we give you this and this and this, wouldn't you come and curse these people? You know, we're concerned. You know, what am I known for? I don't know what all happened in 2020 in this community, but I know in our community at home, things happened that, that I realize it's, it's, it's unprecedented times. There were things that, that there were so many different viewpoints and people that had problems with this and people that had problems with that and people that thought we need to get involved in politics. That's the only way we're going to somehow get this thing all straightened out. We need to do something. Where did I find myself? Where did you find yourself? You know what? We've lived up until 2020. I think if we're honest, we've lived in pretty easy times. In 2020, it seemed like things were coming to a head. There was a pandemic, and now there's an election, and it seems like there's two different sides going on here, and they're fighting more than they've ever fought. And you know, where's the church supposed to find itself? Maybe it's been pretty easy before to say, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? And it seemed like people started getting swept up in this thing. I heard things that, that talked, there, there, was, there was reports out that there was these Anabaptist groups being courted for their vote. You know what? We can look at it as all negative, but I have a feeling that motives were brought to a head in many people's life in 2020. And I wonder, where is my allegiance? You know what? If we could get Dean Taylor, what if we could get him up here tonight? You know, he was with that army. He was with the people that were out destroying. And he wrote a book called A Change of Allegiance. And he came to grips with the fact that his allegiance needs to be with the kingdom of God and not of any kingdom of this world. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Friends, there comes times when we're faced with, you know, what, which one are we going to choose here? Where is our allegiance? Where does it really stand? And I believe Balaam is being tested here. 
In critical times, the thoughts of my heart are really exposed. And even though at first glance, Balaam's words appear spiritual, we need to look deeper. I'd like to think about four points tonight that I believe reveal the condition of Balaam's heart. And I'd like us to try to apply it to our hearts. Where is my allegiance? Where are my motives? What do I want to see build up? Am I concerned about losing? And friends, tonight I'm not trying to despise the freedom and the freedom of religion and the peace and all those things we've had. I'm not trying to despise that. But friends, when Mennonites, when Anabaptists have gotten involved in politics, they got involved when Hitler was voted in. I don't know if, I'm sure many of you know that, but they got involved then. And look at the terrible, terrible destruction it caused. And tonight there's a question that comes to me, where really is my allegiance? The four points I have on, that, that I believe expose the motives of Balaam's heart. The first one is, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure many of you have studied this and I used to preach this differently, but I've kind of come to a different conclusion on this and the first one I have is that Balaam had no business asking the question in the first place. I used to think the problem was that he went again, and I think it was a problem. But I wonder tonight if Balaam would have been in tune with God and his motives where God had wanted them, would he have gone and asked God the question in the first place? Lord, do you want me to go curse these people? You know, questions are something very wonderful, and they were a tool that Jesus used over and over both in questions he asked and questions he fielded. But friends, tonight it's so, so important that when we ask questions, we have a right heart. Many people have asked questions and they kind of justified themselves, but they end up going down wrong roads because of motives. Jesus said, you know, and... and and he, he was one that he wanted to bring peace to people's hearts. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Friends, tonight, that's what he still wants for you and I. He wants rest for our souls. He wants rest for those questions. And you know what? I've probably asked more questions in 2020 than the previous five years combined. Jesus wants to bring rest to those questions because he is the answer. But we must ask questions with an open and an honest heart that we really want his answers for. There have been people that have asked questions and they already knew the, the answer they wanted and I'm afraid tonight we're talking about a man in the Bible that was that exact way. He already knew the answer he wanted but he wanted clearance from God to go. And sadly, there's people that say, yep, God told me yes. And they head off in an unbiblical direction, in a, in a lifestyle, in a direction that the Bible does not support. And yet they're saying, yep, God told me to do this. God gave me clearance to do this. Second Timothy chapter 3, and we should turn back there because I'd like to catch a couple things there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, This know also that in the last times perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. And you know what? 
Verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And we jump down to verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Remember last night, one of the points we talked about in repentance was the fact that, that a repentant heart will love truth. And the Bible says there in 2 Timothy, when it talks about end times, it talks about people that are ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Do we really want the truth? Did Balaam really want the truth? Those questions that we ask must come from an open and sincere heart that truly want, wants God's answers. Why would Balaam, and this is where I, where I get this first point, was I don't think he had any business going in the first time with the knowledge of what God was doing for his people. Why would one who professes to know that God ask God the question, shall I curse them? The second one is, second point I have is just in case anyone still wondered, he asked the question the second time. And friends, tonight there's a side to God that you and I never want to experience. You come to you come down to about the middle of the the chapter here, verse 16. They came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming, for I will promote thee unto very great honor. I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. In other words, Balaam, you, maybe you kind of misunderstood us. Maybe you thought that was our final answer. That was just the beginning. You have no idea what we're willing to do here, but we're coming back and we're going to promote you to even greater honor. We're going to give you even greater riches. And Balaam turns around and he answers correctly again. And then he goes to God, and this is the side of God that you and I do not want to see. You know why? Because he wasn't satisfied with God's answer. And he comes to God and he says again, Shall I go curse them? The Bible doesn't record that he asked that, those very words. But he says he's going to go that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. In other words, just maybe, just maybe. And you know what? I am firmly convinced tonight that if we want God in second place, that's exactly where he'll be. He has a lot of patience. He'll give us ample opportunity, perhaps even plead with us, but he doesn't force. He does not force you and I to do his will. It's a choice he's put within us to make. And there's times in life when God wants us to per persist and keep on asking, like that parable in Luke 18 where the widow came to the judge, and finally the judge says, you know what, I don't fear God, or I, I don't know if I can get the exact words there, but he said, for her persistence, I'm going to give her what she wants. And, and, and Jesus was teaching an example there on prayer. You know, there's things that we know to be the will of God for somebody to get saved, or, or for people to grow in the Lord, or for people to get out of unhealthy relationships, or whatever you want to put in there, and God calls us to persistence, but you know what? When it involves something I want for my flesh and for my will, I need to be satisfied when God says no. I need to be well satisfied when God says no. It reminds me of the example we find in 1 Samuel 8 and 9, and we won't turn back there. 
for the sake of time. But you know what? The children of Israel were determined to have a king. They said, we want to have a king like the other nations have. And finally, God told Samuel, he said, hearken unto their voice. Because they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. Samuel was simply the mouthpiece from God, telling them what God was saying. And they kept insisting, no, we want this, we want this. And finally, God said, Psalm 106 talks about the children of Israel lusting after things and tempting God. And verse 15 says, And he gave them their request, but sent leanness unto their soul. Again, if we really want God in second place, that's exactly where he'll be. Balaam comes back. He asks again, and to his surprise, and I'm afraid, delight. God says, if they ask you to go, go. Now, you think about it tonight. How can we explain this passage? I think it's just one verse apart, two verses apart. God said, if the men, verse 20, if the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. In verse 22, it says, and God's anger was kindled because he went. Number three, though unaware at the time, Balaam chose blindness and confusion. And I find it kind of interesting here because God never told Balaam he had the clearance to curse the children of Israel. He said two things to him there in verse 20. The first one he said is, if they bid you go, go with them. And the second he said, but yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And you know what I think happened? The same thing that happens to us. You know, these, these things that Balaam really wanted, the things that were really in his heart. All at once there was kind of clearance there. And God said, if they bid you go, go with them. And, and I can just kind of see his eyes open up. And, and you know, the, the original language there would have, would have the idea of, the Hebrew conveys the idea of rushing headlong or rapidly onward with great haste as that done without due deliberation. Let me read that again. The Hebrew conveys the idea of rushing headlong or rapidly onward with great haste, as that done without due deliberation. There was money and honor almost within reach, and let's not waste one more minute. Let's get on the road here. I don't even know if he heard part B. Verse 22 says, God's anger was kindled. The angel of the Lord stood in his way. The donkey simply would not move. Have you ever heard the statement, stubborn as a mule? Except in this case, I'm not sure it wouldn't be better to say stubborn as Balaam. Headstrong, determined, I'll get my way even if I have to kill you. He tells the donkey, you know what, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. And all at once his eyes are opened. And he sees the angel of the Lord there. And he understands, oh, this is why we're not going. And you know what? He uses a word that's so interesting to me. In verse 34. You know what? Balaam had chosen frustration he chosen blindness he's he chosen confusion and in verse 34 
And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if. If. Can you imagine with me tonight? He was determined to go. He gets the answer, no. He goes back and asks again. He gets the answer, yes, go. And then there's all this, there's a donkey talking. This is things that he wasn't used to seeing or hearing. There's a donkey talking. That There's a force there that he can't see yet, and they can't go on. And then he tells the angel, if. What would have happened? And you know, friends, tonight I think we need to get there. I think we need to get there in our own lives. What would have happened if Balaam would have said, you know what, I know I've displeased God. I know I've displeased him, and I'm going back where I started. If. How often does it get us in trouble? How often does it stand in our way of surface-level repentance versus heart-level repentance? haphazard or, or just kind of, well, if I have to type repentance or a repentance that comes from deep within the heart. What would have happened if Balaam would have discovered his error here and he just said, I'm going back? But his heart hadn't changed. And you know what? The angel gives him the same message. Verse 35, And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou, that thou shalt speak so Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Friends, tonight, how often, how often do we get caught in situations where we're determined to go our own way? And the Apostle Paul wrote years later in Galatians 6, 7, he said, Be not deceived whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also You have two men here, the one who wants God's people destroyed and one who wants God to give him clearance to make a move that brings riches and honor. And I wonder tonight how much difference is there between the world and the church? What are my motives? What do I really want to see happen? What do I really want? And in verse 24, chapter 24, verse 1, the Bible says, And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not as at other times to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. Two men in frustration. And finally it had reached his end. Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. He went not as at other times to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents. And you know, Balak, Balak was determined to have these people cursed, but, and, and Balaam would have been willing to, but I wonder what would have happened tonight, and this is where it comes down to our motives. This, this is where it comes down. You know, there's times we have the words right. We, we can say the words right. In fact, sometimes we're way too good at that. We can say the words right. But how many times have we told God, and we want to get to that in a little bit as we go to the psalmist in Psalm 139, but how many times have we told God, I want you to rearrange my motives so that I only want to do what you want me to do. 
That's where our flesh can get in the way. You know, we'd still like to somehow go after the things that my heart desires, but we want God's blessing in doing it, and it doesn't work. No man can serve two masters. We have to choose the one master or the other master. It doesn't work to try and mix the two. Jesus said it so crystal clear. And I wonder what happens tonight. I wonder how often I've gotten on my knees before God and I've told him I want you to make my heart. I want you to clean my heart up so that I only want to do what you want me to do. So that I have right motives. And when you, when you tap me on the shoulder to go do this or to go do that, I'm willing to go even though it doesn't feel good to my flesh or even though it might not make sense to my pocketbook or checkbook. I want you to rearrange my motives to where I only want to do what you want me to do. And you know what? There's something so tragic that comes up here. Balaam dies a tragic and shameful death. Numbers chapter 31, if you go back a little bit to chapter 31, verses 6 to 8. It says, And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand of every tribe, them and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the war, with the holy instruments and the trumpets to blow in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males. And they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, slain, namely Evi and Rechem and Jur and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian, Balaam also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. And I'd like to ask all of us a question tonight, myself first of all, but what do I want it to look like when I get to the end of life? It's going to be all over. It's going to be too late for me to say, you know what, let me go back and redo my motives. Let me go back and redo the way I related to the church, the way I related to the family, or the way I related to others. Let me go back and redo it. It's all going to be too late. Now is the day to change why we do things. Now is the day to let God change our motives. And Balaam, I don't know how much wealth and honor was involved in that second offer. And probably there was even more involved if he would have said no again. I don't know. But what did he have now? What did he have when it was all over? And I'm reminded tonight of a man that I knew fairly well. And I remember so clearly him telling me, you know what, I, I want to go to heaven when it's all over. But he was kind of almost had a smirk or, or almost in a mirthful way. He said, I want to go to heaven when it's all over, but I'm not in any hurry to get there. I want to enjoy life. I want to do this and I want to do that. And you know what? Years later, that man had a dream. He was now approaching that threshold to eternity. He was getting close to the end of life. And he had a dream that he got up to heaven's gate. This is a true story. I don't know if I remember all the details, but it's a true story. He got up to heaven's gate and he couldn't get in. I don't know what happened between that time and when he took his last breath, but today that man is somewhere for all of eternity. What's the mindset and attitude of your heart and mind? What are the motives of my heart? Is it wealth? Is it fame? Is it recognition, popularity? 
What are the motives of my heart? Turn with me in closing to Psalm 139. I'd like to just end on a very positive note. You know, we've spent two messages and we've talked probably a lot more about the negative. Sometimes we grow a lot from the negative, but friends, this book doesn't only have the negative, it has the positive and it has the real. It has people that were just like you and I and people that made right choices, people that made wrong choices, and God wants us to learn from these people. They weren't so different from us. They had some of the same struggles, some of the same motives, some of the same things coming out. But let's read from Psalm 139, verse 1, where the psalmist said, and we won't take time to read the whole psalm, but we'll just read verse 1 and then the last two verses. But the psalmist says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. And friends, that's kind of a general statement, and that's where you and I too often prefer to leave it. Just kind of a general statement. But the psalmist goes on and it gets way beyond general. It gets right down to the nitty-gritty. It gets down to the fact that, Lord, I want you to work in my heart. Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And friends, tonight, I'm reminded tonight of a minister that, that a young couple asked him, they were getting married, and they asked him for some advice, or maybe he gave them advice in a message or something, I forget. But he said, you can have two choices. You can bring your plans to God and say, you know, this is our plans. Now would you bless them? Or you can come to God and say, would you make our plans for us? And that's exactly what the psalmist did. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. In other words, clean me up. Give me a right heart. Give me right motives. Give me a heart that sees your kingdom. Give me a heart that longs to see your kingdom advanced. And he ends with a very, very personal prayer that invites God to the very depths and recesses of his heart. Six times he uses the words, me and my. And that will always be the key to revival. Revival always starts with If I really want to see it, then it needs to start with me. And he asked God to know his heart and his thoughts. Remember the verse we read at the beginning, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If I'm honest about the condition of my heart tonight, as it relates to what do I want to see grow and advanced, the kingdom of earth or the kingdom of heaven? Where are we at? Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Our Father in heaven, tonight we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word that is indeed rich and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your word, the purity of your word, the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've left us examples, both negative and positive. Lord, help us to ever choose those examples that will keep us on the straight and narrow way.
Thank you, Lord, for faithful examples, not only in the Bible, but since of people that have wanted to build your kingdom, that have longed to see your kingdom advanced and not their own. Lord, thank you for each one that's here tonight. Thank you that you know our hearts perfectly. You know our motives. Help us to have motives that are pure, that long to see you bring revival to our own lives, our own hearts, and then for it to spread to others. So help us to be faithful to you with everything in us. We commit ourselves to you, we pray in Jesus' name.